And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 153 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley. A time of recording, 11, 12 a.m. on July 28th, 2019. Here to help me talk about this week, which includes... The Fall Film Festival lineups for the Toronto International Film Festival and the Venice Film Festival, plus three Oscar contenders had their trailers released. We're also going to go over the polls, maybe talk about a little Tarantino film that released this weekend. We got a lot of really, really interesting stuff to talk about here. I have Michael Schwartz. Oh my God, what a week. Hello, everyone. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. And Cody Derricks. Hello. I am going to open up first and foremost by saying, uh, and I know I normally do this at the end, but I figure if I say it now, people will be more aware of it. They might be more likely to do it. Rate us on iTunes, folks. If you like the show and you like what we're talking about and you have been a constant listener of ours, you dig us. If you have not gone over to Apple Podcasts and rated us on there, five stars, anything else unacceptable, but five stars, maybe a comment. doesn't have to be a comment. We would really, really appreciate that. It helps for people to discover our show more. With that out of the way, let's get down to business. Michael, what did you see at the movie theater this week? I went to the movies twice this past week, once for a new movie and once for a repeat. I guess I'll start with the new movie because it seems like everyone's seeing the new movie, and that is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I am happy to say is one of the best films I've seen this year so far, and I think it'll remain one of the best films when we do our top tens at the end of the year. I loved, 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 loved this movie. I think it's one of his very best. I think it's his most mature, emotional, personal. I, I think it just everything that man's worked to in his career, I think, culminates with this movie. And I'm not going to give away anything because I know people still haven't seen it. But the way that this movie ends, the note that it ends on, I just found to be so, so absolutely incredible. It hasn't left my mind since Thursday night. And I'm just proud of everyone involved in it. I think this is our first full-fledged Oscar contender of the 2019-2020 season. All right. Casey Lee Clark. Yeah, so I also caught up on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I feel like I'm not as high as Michael, but I still really liked it. I'm, I'd said before on the, like a podcast either last week or the week before that I'm a big fan of Tarantino and his work, and I had such a great time watching this. It's so fun, but also there's some great moments of tense moments and then some emotional moments. And I think that I need to see it a second time to really grasp what I feel about it because I think that it's something that you can't fully get on just one viewing. But I really, I did really enjoy it, and I look forward to seeing it again. Um, and then the next movie that I saw this week was The Farewell, which is also so great. I, I had a good week at the movies this week, I guess you'd say. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, The Farewell, it didn't. I emotionally devastate me as much as I thought it was going to. I just, you know, had some tearing up lip quivering moments, but it's still such a great balance of tone. And I think that it really shows how you can tell such a personal, 
intimate story and make that so incredibly universal. And I just really, it, both, both of those movies I think have stuck with me a lot and I keep thinking about them in very different ways. So definitely two of the best movies I've seen so far this year. And so that was good. All right, Cody. So I did not get a chance to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet. Sorry. Um, I'm seeing it sometime this week, though, in beautiful 70 millimeter here at Chicago's Music Box Theater. Uh, But I did get to see The Farewell also. And I just want to echo basically exactly what Casey just said. I also was expecting to be completely wrecked. And I wasn't, but in a way that I kind of appreciate. Because I think the way that the movie withholds those easy crying moments from you with very it really mirrors the way the characters are forced to kind of stifle their emotions in a really beautiful empathetic way i thought it was really phenomenal um zhao shuzen who plays nai nai um she is my supporting actress of the year so far yes phenomenal i would love to see her get some recognition for a first time professional performance it was really stunning in its own right and uh yeah highly recommend it all right like everyone else Except for Cody. Don't worry, you'll get there. I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it's not top-tier Tarantino for me, although I'm not negative on it necessarily. Um, It's uh, Right now, it's actually sitting above Death Proof and Hateful Eight for me at the moment. I am probably going to go to the movie theater, and I'm going to see it again, because I think that there was just a lot to take in during that viewing experience. And there were uh, some things from a technical aspect, like the editing that really, really did bother me a lot while watching it. But I do think it does hold uh, quite a lot of power behind it. And yes, there are some things about it that I don't think will help Tarantino's uh, discourse. I think that there are some aspects of this movie that are only going to uh, bring his critics out in more full force. And that's a bit of a shame, I think, because I think that there is uh, an intention there. However, I do think that there are times where the movie can get a little unfocused, let's just say. So my thoughts are pretty clear at the moment, but I'm going to see it again anyway, just in case. See if it goes up, goes down, stays the same. I don't know. It's a whole lot of movie. um, And I would normally say definitely check it out, but I think most people are going to check it out anyway. I would rather right now take a moment to plug something like The Farewell or The Art of Self-Defense. You know, these tiny movies that are struggling to find an audience and hopefully like people will seek those out. Cause we all know you're going to watch the new Tarantino film in time, you know, <laughs> but a movie like the farewell, especially, uh, you know, and what it could mean also for other filmmakers to come along if that film does uh, very, very well. So moving away from that film festival, we are entering into phase one of the award season. I am super excited. I cannot wait. Hi guys, I'm Dane. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the IMDb Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. But when we're not doing that, we also battle other podcasts in various movie-related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry. Oh, hey, Brew, it's uh, this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny. Is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> and if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along and join our journey. So... Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start off with the Venice Film Festival lineup because that one comes out first. Then I'll announce the uh, films that are premiering at TIFF, and hopefully there won't be any overlap here. So, Venice. Uh, I'm going to go down the list here, and I'll name a couple. Um, I'll leave some off, but if there's any ones that I left off that jump to your mind, let me know. Uh, the Truth, directed by Hiro Kazu Koreda, who gave us Shoplifters last year. This is actually going to be the opening night film for the festival. And I have to say, coming off of uh, Shoplifters especially, um, I'm very, very excited to see uh, what Coretta has in store for us next. Yeah, and with this being his like English language debut with, with a really great cast, mm-hmm. I'm excited for this. Olivier Assayas has a, uh, another film, Wasp Network. It seems like the guy's got a new film every, I don't want to even say every year. It seems like it's like every nine months. Because <laughs> right, I didn't even know he had another movie because he already had nonfiction this very year. And then I Exactly. Like, oh, hey. Yeah. <laughs> Noah Baumbach, Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver, Laura Dern, a bunch of others. Big contender from Netflix. They are really, really pushing this one hard. It looks like it is going to be getting the Roma treatment where it it appears it's going to go to all of the film festivals this year. I'm really, really excited with, for this one. With every, you know, passing mention of news, I really love the Meyerowitz stories uh, a few years ago. And you can tell that, like... He's he's somebody who's been on the brink of awards consideration for a while, so I'm excited for him to finally kind of have his big debut <laughs> as it was. If like this does very well, I'm just excited for Noah Baumbach to be invited to the dance and embraced holistically for a movie because you know he's got an Oscar nomination before for The Squid and the Whale, and his films have been well reviewed, but he's never had that across the board Oscar contender. And it feels like he has built up enough respect over the years. Um, film Twitter seems to like him, critics seem to like him, the industry certainly seems to like him. So if this can be one of the major standouts of the year, um, I see absolutely no reason why this would not be the contender that Netflix believes it is. And what a cast. I know we were always talking about Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, and Laura Dern. But just this week, I learned that the supporting cast includes Alan Alda, Ray Liotta, Merrick Weaver, and Julie Haggerty. Mm-hmm. So, so and Alan Alda, there's a guy who surprised with the nomination back in 2004 just on sheer likability. So if this is like a big enough role in a big contender, I would say watch out for him again because everyone likes Alan Alda. We were all wondering when this film was going to debut. Uh, A lot of us correctly predicted. James Gray's film Ad Astra will be premiering at the Venice Film Festival starring Brad Pitt. And they got a second trailer recently, too. This is going to be right before wide release as a way to have the premiere, but also give it a festival bump. So uh, and James Gray at Venice seems like a really good fit. I know he usually does New York, but New York is being held after the movie's opened. Mm-hmm. So I think Venice will be a really friendly place for him. I'm getting yeah, really I'm excited. excited for this one. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't love the first trailer because I thought the, the focus on the plot was a little bit confusing. Yeah. And then the second trailer really focused on the style. And that really drew me in. I'm I'm way more excited for this than I thought I would be. Emma, uh, the new film from Pablo Lorraine, last gave us uh, Jackie a few years ago. I, I really love Pablo Lorraine. I also like his film from a few years back now. So anything he does, I'm excited by. Uh, Roman Polanski? Yeah, we'll skip that. Uh, 
<laughs> Steven Soderbergh, The Laundromat, starring Meryl Streep. In a little hat. In a tiny, teeny, tiny hat. <laughs> Remember, she does Pentagon Papers with Spielberg and Panama Papers with Soderbergh. Oh, yeah, that's easy to remember. Got it. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> They're both Stevens. They're both Stevens, too, so that just you know, adds to it. I'm just imagining now Meryl Streep like, uh, in, in Goodfellas. I'm going to get the papers, get the papers. Yeah. <laughs> She's in the paper part of her career. Every actor has yeah. <laughs> You know, she has a cameo in the movie The Paper. But, if you look closely, you'll see her. Wait, her, her little still in this movie for the laundromat, she looked like a cross between Cousin Topsy and Mary Louise from The Little Lies. <laughs> Which is perfectly on brand for you, Michael. <laughs> uh, we got the new film from uh, Costa uh, Gavras, uh, Adults in the Room. Um, have you all ever seen Z before? Yes, and I didn't even know he was still making movies. Sorry, yeah. Costa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen Z. I've, I've, seen, um, I've seen Missing. Yeah. Missing is so good. Oh, my God. I love that one. I really like Z. It's, kind of, it's edited in this crazy way that I haven't seen before or since. Definitely check that out if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, the King, the new film from uh, David McCod starring Timothy Chalamet. Yes, it I'm is. Not, I'm not excited. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So we've established that we are not the biggest Timothy Chalamet stands here, essentially, that the mere mention of his name makes us yeah. weak in the knees. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not in terms of the Internet, but I am a, a big fan and I'm I am intrigued by this. I'm not the biggest. Unlike Nicole Ackman, I'm not the biggest period piece <laughs> fan, but, you know. He's got a bowl cut. It looks interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what else really stood out here? Oh, yeah. There's this uh, DC Warner Brothers film called Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Todd Phillips, not Todd Haynes, directed by Todd Phillips, uh, which, by the way, I just rewatched The Hangover last night. What a great comedy. It's really funny. <laughs> but it's so weird, like, to see Todd Phillips make this uh, transition and listen, I'm you know, throwing my hands up right now. For all we know, this could be another Adam McKay situation. And Warner Brothers seems to have a lot of confidence in this movie to bring it to both Venice and to Tiff. So I'll admit the trailer really, really impressed me when I saw it uh, stylistically in terms of what I think Joaquin Phoenix is probably bringing to this. And the more I hear about how they're not really basing it on the comic, it's going to be more of a character study. It's reinforcing my positive expectations for it. The trailer yeah, does look for. pretty good, but so did the Suicide Squad trailer. So I'm just all <laughs> about DC trailers. They're really good at marketing. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, those movies didn't get released at festivals. So we'll yeah. see. Mm -hmm. This is doing the same thing that A Star is Born did down to the opening release date. So yeah. maybe there's something to be said about that. Uh, so Tiff. Buckle down, everyone. <laughs> As per usual. And this isn't even like the full lineup. They still got more stuff they are announcing. So that's insane. Yeah. So looking over at Toronto, they break their films down. They have categories like world premiere, North American premiere, Canadian premiere, and international premiere. And by each classification, that gives you a hint as to what is going to what festival ahead of its premiere or debut in Toronto. So when you look at them, world premiere means that it's showing for the first time at the Toronto International Film Festival. And some of those titles include A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Bad Education, which is a Hugh Jackman film with Ray Romano, Alison Janney. It sounds really interesting. Dolomite is My Name. What do we think of that one with Eddie Murphy? I'm 
extremely hesitant on yeah, it. Ex- exactly. Yeah. I will uh, hold thoughts until reactions come in because yeah. we've seen this happen before. What was that one that he was in where he was the lead? Mr. Church. Mr. Church. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and it's like on paper. Oh, this could be Eddie Murphy's comeback. And it fizzled into nothing. So, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm reserving. Got a satellite nomination, Matthew, please. So respect. <laughs> I mean, this is director of Hustle and Flow, costumes by Ruthie Carter. I mean, it could be something. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It could be something, just like everyone else said. I'm going to just take a step back. <laughs> so that's going to be a world premiere at Toronto. We have, uh, every once in a while, these movies like Still Alice pop up that you didn't even know existed. Yeah. And they seem to take off from there. One of them is called Hope Gap, and it stars Annette Benning and, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name, uh, another big actor this is a movie that's based on a play and it received a couple of tony nominations about 15 years ago i gotta look up who the other actor is now because bill, uh, bill like nye bill nye yes uh a family deals in the aftermath of the shock of revelations that a husband plans to end his 29 year marriage to his wife uh i was gonna say it sounds like something sony classics would pick up but apparently it's already going to be distributed by roadside attractions so that's mm. really something to keep an eye on Directed by William Nicholson, based on the play The Retreat from Moscow, written by Nicholson. Ordinary Love could also be one of those movies, too, possibly. With um, Liam Neeson and... Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Leslie Manville. Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville, yep. Yeah, again, these Toronto movies just play quietly on like a Tuesday afternoon sometimes. That they gather, they have a uh, following. And the wife. And to respond to them. Yeah, the wife was another one. And, you know, we know how close that one came. So mm-hmm. you never know what happens. Uh, how to Build a Girl seems like it's going to be a pretty big hit starring Beanie Feldstein. Oh, we are all aboard the Beanie Feldstein train right now. <laughs> yeah, just the one still from that wasn't enough. Uh, it was all I needed to see. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully this could be uh, maybe her Edge of Seventeen, the same way that uh, that film premiered. If I remember correctly, premiered at TIFF and really uh, helped to break Haley Steinfeld out as a leading uh, lady in Hollywood. Yeah, there's no release date for this yet. It could be like spring 2020. But if they do bring it to 2019, how great would it be to see like Golden Globe nominee Beanie Feldstein? I mean, it could happen for this or for Booksmart. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. We have Hustlers with uh, J-Lo and uh, Constance Wu. I just saw the trailer for that the other day. That looks I wasn't really fun. too high on that necessarily. Uh, I very much was. It looks like very much my type of movie. Yeah. <laughs> It might be very bad. I don't know. But I mean, just the premise and that cast is enough to get me intrigued at the very least. This is a good point to actually just say for the record that just because your film is going to a film festival doesn't necessarily mean that your film is going to be universally praised. Of course. And the fact that this is coming out in September, it could just be an easy way to do a big premiere. Right. But still, I feel that I feel that way to a certain extent about uh, like Judy, for example, which curiously was not listed for Venice, but was listed for TIFF, and now I'm starting to believe is also going to be a Telluride as well. Yeah, we'll get to that one in a second, because that's in the Canadian premiere section. Yeah. But uh, Judy, uh, I think we're all holding our breath for that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that last trailer did not really work for me at all. No, not at yeah. all. But uh, also in world premiere, we have Just Mercy from Dustin Daniel Cretton. So it excited. Just got a limited release for Christmas. It's qualifying for Oscars. That's going to be pretty good, I think, with Michael B. Jordan, Brie Larson, and Jamie Foxx. Knives Out, we already saw the trailer for that. Nice to have Ryan Johnson back at Toronto. Yep. Ordinary Love, Matt, you just mentioned that. Radioactive, starring Rosamund Pike as... uh, Uh, Marie uh, Curie? Yeah, Marie Curie, from the director of Persepolis. So, uh, you know, 
she has had an up and down career since Persepolis. I know there's that movie with Ryan Reynolds a couple years back. It was called The Voices. Yeah, but Rosamund Pike has been uh, consistently fantastic. Right, uh, and these she last came very close years. to a nomination last year, I think. For I, I agree. For so you know, we saw what you did with Gone Girl, obviously five years ago. If you couldn't believe it. So again, this could be one that debuts at the festival and then has a future after that. So radioactive, I would keep an eye out for that. The Goldfinch, which yep. that second trailer dropped this week. I did not yeah. think that second trailer was anything too hot. But I didn't see that one. It's also listed as being over two and a half hours long. Uh. Yes, it is. But I'm fascinated by what John Carney's going to do. John Crowley. I love, uh, John Carney. Oh, my God. Yeah, John Crowley did Brooklyn. John Carney did once. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a musical. At least I don't think it is. He does have a good Amazon series popping up soon, though, that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Uh, Goldfinch, we'll see. I think, you know, they might want to get Nicole Kidman at their festival. So it's just a reason to debut it there. That's uh, opening mid-September. And then the other big title, the final one for world premiere, is The Personal History of David Copperfield from Armando Iannucci. Always excited. So I don't know if that one has distribution or not. Maybe IFC already has it, but they haven't made the announcement yet. But, you know, we know that his last two films have been pretty great. So no reason to think he'll break that streak with this one. No, yeah. I mean, In the Loop was pretty well received. Depa Stalin did really well as well. So, yeah, I agree. And I mean, the cast definitely looks uh, like fire for this one. And who's not excited to see Dev Patel in an Armando Inanucci film? I love Dev Patel. It's an interesting choice for adaptation, though. I mean, but but I'm very interested to see what he'll do, because those two movies you just listed are, to my mind, really brilliant. So it'll be interesting. So all those movies will be premiering for the first time at Toronto. Yeah. And there are others that are premiering at Toronto as well. Um, I want to actually take this moment to break a little bit here, we'll, and then we'll come back to talk about some of the other films that have been mentioned as well. But I want to talk about, get ready, people, three trailers in a row. All these films are going to be making their world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival. First up, we have, from Can You Ever Forgive Me?, Director Marielle Heller's follow-up, A Beautiful Day in a Neighborhood, starring Tom Hanks and Matthew Reese. Let's take a look at what Mr. Rogers has in store. Hey, I'm looking for Fred Rogers in here. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, won't you be? My neighbor. Hello, neighbor. Mr. Rogers. I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. You okay? Profiling Mr. Rogers. Lloyd, please don't ruin my childhood. This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? give the world positive ways of dealing with their feelings. Yeah? Like what? There are many things you can do. You can play all the lowest keys on a piano at the same time.
love broken people like me. Sometimes we have to ask for help, and that's okay. I think the best thing we can do is to let people know boom, that each one of them is precious. Take this one, Michael. <laughs> no, it's not. Wait, hold on. Before before Michael even goes, I I want to say for the record, as somebody that was very skeptical about this on paper, um, this trailer went a long way for me, to the point where I am pretty much ready to put Tom Hanks in my best actor predictions. I am ready to put this in my best picture predictions. I am ready to put this in for screenplay. Like I am fully on board after seeing the trailer for this. I, I, um, I'm less on board. I, I didn't, the trailer didn't really inspire me. Not that I trust that to be a barometer of award success in general. I don't know. This one, I'm, I'm going to have to wait and see with this one. It, it, the, the very concept doesn't even really personally thrill me, but that's just me. Um, so I'm just going to sit this one out for now. I will say that I felt the same way kind of about the trailer for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And that film surprised me so much. So I, I feel like, I, I feel okay with like there are certain aspects of the trailer that I'm like I'm like oh they're purposely putting out these moments when I, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of more interesting quieter moments. That's, that's the thing. I I think that the character work here. I think that there is stuff that is not being stated in the trailer pertaining to both Matthew Reese's character and what may be going on, say in his personal life, that Tom Hanks's character Fred Rogers can help him through and. I don't know what that is, obviously, but I think the trailer subtly hints at something like that. And I think if they really do focus in on these two characters and their relationship and don't make it a typical standard drama, like there actually is more um, original nuance there and something that's really deeply impactful, but not in a broad way, I that's what I think will make this stand out. However, if it is just a wide mainstream appeal, kind of generic, broad appeal drama. I hate to say it, but yeah, it'll do well at the box office, but I think it'll kind of fade. You think this is going to fade in the box office? No, 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 no. I think it'll fade as far as awards uh, go. Oh, okay, okay. So, trailer itself, I know you're all waiting with bated breath for my reaction here. Oh, I mean, I we already know you're positive, so it's all good. <laughs> I, I am positive, but I want to just explain the first time I saw this trailer Monday morning, you know, it sort of caught me off off guard for a second because of the accent that Tom Hanks was doing. It's almost kind of like Forrest Gump as Fred Rogers. But the more I watched it, the more I understood what he was doing. It's not supposed to be a total impersonation. It's just him capturing the essence of Fred Rogers. So once I was able to get past that voice work, it really drew me in, of course. And yes, I cried. I think many of us watched this trailer and, you know, had some sort of emotional reaction to it. Look, it looks like a really great crowd-pleaser family movie over Thanksgiving. Matt, I don't exactly know if I'm on board with those same Oscar prospects just because I saw what happened to the documentary last year. That could just be the documentary branch being weird. But, you know, I want to, you know, play this little safe for now. But as for quality, you know, I think this looks pretty spectacular. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that if it is your typical drama 
that hits like checks off all the right boxes, but doesn't do enough to really uh, separate itself from all the other great dramas that are going to be coming out this year. Um, I think it will get lost in the shuffle. Think of think about on the basis of sex as an example, right? True life performance uh, from a well-respected uh, actress, and it it just faded. You know, it just it just faded. Hex and Felicity Jones, I think, occupy different levels. I I understand that, but I'm not talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to compare like box office, for example, or something along those lines, sure. Um, but I'm just talking about what I think the final quality of the output of the film could be. I think based on this trailer that there's more there that the trailer is not giving away. And I trust Marielle Heller's uh, direction to bring that forward from the screenplay. However, my take could be totally off base. And like I said, it could just be your typical Oscar bait drama. You know what I mean? Right. Which is the vibe I'm getting so far. But again, I'll just I'll wait. I listened to an interview with Marielle Heller back in February when she was doing campaigning for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm -hmm. And she said in her career, she never expected to make a movie with a male protagonist. She wanted to do movies that had female leads, but she had, you know, come across this story for a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And it really connected with her. She was saying she had just uh, had her son. And here's a movie about, you know, how to be a good man in this world and what it means to be a good man. And yeah, really, you know, connected with her in some way. So I think, they're getting at something, maybe not so much with the Matthew Reese character, who, you know, they suggest in the character in the trailer might be a little damaged, a little broken. Right. But more about how Fred Rogers is able to, you know, represent what it means to be a good person in this world. And I think we could all sort of use that. Right. And I think that if they really focus on that and bring that to the forefront, and it's a it has to be a universal story. Um, but it also has to be, like I said, uh, specific and nuanced enough that the more highbrow critics will really go for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at on it. Uh, all right. Another trailer that we have here is Harriet, starring Cynthia Erivo as Harriet Tubman. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. There's not much time. You got to be miles away from here for dawn. Where is she? Follow that north star. If there are no stars, just follow the river. Listen for them. Fear is your enemy. Whoa. Easy now. I'm gonna be free or die. I don't know if you know how extraordinary this is, but you have made it 100 miles to freedom all by yourself. Would you like to pick a new name to mark your freedom? Harriet Tubman. You are welcome here anytime. If I'm free, my family should be too. I made up my mind, I'm going back. You're confident, composed, when trouble comes. You'll be ready. Papers. It says here you're five and a half feet tall. You ain't more than five feet. Must have won my high boots that day. Why are you back here? It ain't safe. I come to get you. Bring all of you to freedom. Do you know what would happen if you got caught? You got lucky, Harriet. I made it this far on my own. 
So don't you tell me what I can't do. Harriet, welcome to the Underground Railroad. Everybody, everywhere is looking for you. God don't mean people to own people. Find this thief and burn her at the stake. Hurry! I will give every last drop of blood in my veins until this monster called slavery is dead. Ready? Okay, so here's my thought process on this one. I think that the way that this is being marketed and cut together as a trailer is possibly underselling the movie. Because I saw a lot of people commenting on how this is a great story. What a great part for Cynthia Revo, who had a breakout uh, la- you know, year last year with Widows and Bad Times at the El Royale. It's got... All of those things that we like to check off when we look at Oscar contenders on paper, obviously. But I think this trailer, once again, is trying to obviously sell this movie to a wide audience. And I actually think there is a chance that this could pay off, obviously, from a box office standpoint. But I (laughs) kind of like the Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood trailer. I'm worried that it's going to be all this surface level. We're checking off the expected boxes and it's not going to have the the special sauce or some, whatever you want to call it to make it s- really separate it. You know what I mean? Like that, like it, it looks like a more generic uh, Hollywood. I know it's not a Hollywood movie, but it looks like you're, it, it, it doesn't look like it has that artistic uh, flair or, or that art tour aspect that will help it stand out as a distinguished piece of art. It looks like it could be potentially like Cynthia Revo, a song, uh, maybe attack here or there, and I, I mean, you know, you know what I mean. You know what I'm getting at here. You know, Kathy just, Lemons is a really terrific director. Even I agree. Even was fantastic. Talk to me is really good. I know Black Nativity didn't really make its mark, but when she has the opportunity to do something, I think it's always worth checking out. The way that this is cut together, I do agree with you. Something, you know, it seems like it's going a little bit more mainstream than the actual product might be. Right. But I think regardless of how it eventually falls Cynthia Rebo seems like someone to keep an eye out for it. But you know, it could also go that Mary Queen of Scots route, maybe on his best day turns to the darkest hour. Who knows? But I think, you know, Cynthia Rebo is the big takeaway from this. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The, the takeaway I have is that I am surprised it's bit taken this long for there to be a major movie about Harriet Tubman. So yeah. I, I have to think there must be some sort of hook in the screenplay or in the direction that, um, kind of, uh, makes it uh, this the, there's a reason that this is the time uh so i am i'm actually pretty excited for this one and the the trailer didn't you know blow me away but it kind of just solidified what i was already excited about which is mostly cynthia revo if nothing else i really mm-hmm. think she she's still my number one contender for actress until proven that otherwise and i really yep. think this has the potential to go pretty far in that race right yeah. now it's right now for me uh it is her johansson and ronan right now that I have like my eyes on. But since we have a trailer for this one, uh, 
compared to the other two. Uh, Arivo is still occupying my top spot because, yeah, this looks like a really (laughs) terrific role for her that gives her so much to do. Definitely. Yeah, everything I thought was already been said. So, <laughs> Leslie Odom Jr. is also one to watch out for. What what a great uh, casting decision as well to put him in this. Obviously, coming off of uh, Hamilton in a very very major way. Yeah, they plucked him and Cynthia from the 2016 Tony winners. Just put them right in this movie. Which, <laughs> I'm always in favor of that. Yep. Technically speaking, like the cinematography by John Toll, who has shot you know Legends of the Fall, Braveheart, Thin Red Line, a bunch of others. Um, I wasn't necessarily awestruck. Uh, there were some shots that definitely stood out to me, but others that I just, you know, looked at and I was like, okay, you know, um, it's gonna, it's gonna depend. Um, what was like, what was that one movie that came out? Oh, oh my God. I'm gonna like, you know, it just like looked like to me in terms of how the trailer was cut. It reminded me of something like free state of Jones. Oh yeah. And just in terms of how the trailer is cut, you know what I mean? I believe I think it was uh, Little Gold Men that pointed out how many guns there were in the trailer, which was a little bit odd. Yeah. So I think I, I see the comparison there. Like they're I mean, trying to really, really sell this as something that's going to get butts in the seats. Um, when think about like think about if you can all remember for a minute. Remember like the trailer for like Twelve Years a Slave. That sold the movie exactly for what it was. Yeah. yeah. I would like it if, it, if it is true, I would like there to be a trailer for this that sells this movie for what it is and not for what is necessarily going to get butts in the seats. But I understand that that is the way you market a movie if you want to get your movie to get an audience. I get it. Ugh, I get it. But what it does. <laughs> you know, not to drudge yeah. up bad memories of Oscar season's past. Yeah. And I don't think this is a very good movie, but. I'm sure we all remember The Birth of a Nation from 2016. Yeah. And before everything went to shit with that one, uh, how it was being marketed. Uh, You know, it wasn't the same exact style and trailer, but when you had the poster, there was like, they were really playing up the whole rebellious factor. And I think you're seeing that done a bit differently here, but still within the same vein. I had completely forgotten everything about that movie, but now that you mention it, it, yeah, I think that is the route that they're going. Also, too, uh, her with the gun at the end, I, I immediately got uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Joy flashbacks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what they were going for when they come to yeah. trailer, so good eye, Matt. David O. Russell's Harriet. So this is another oh. example of, like I said, I, I, I can see through the style of this trailer and how it's cut. I'm hoping that the final movie does not necessarily reflect that because I want this to be an Oscar contender for Cynthia Revo. I want it to be an Oscar contender for C- Cassie Lemons, who, I mean, has everyone here seen Eve's bio? I not yet. Years ago, but. Oh, it's so good. Please, 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 please. In your homework for Harriet, please at least check that one out. Uh, before you see this. Definitely. You know, and Janelle Monet, you know, came off of a really great year in 2016 with Hidden Figures and uh, Moonlight, possibly came close even to a nomination for Hidden Figures uh, that year. So, you know, there's a lot here that on paper I'm actively rooting for. Um, this trailer just didn't do it for me to instill all of the confidence in the world. But we reserve judgment until its premiere at TIFF. It will be released on November 1st, uh, so it is a prime Oscar season uh, contender. And then for a movie that I think we all were skeptical on before we saw the trailer, who knows what our thoughts are on it now, we'll find out in just a second here, is a new film from Taika Waititi star, uh, called Jojo Rabbit. Let's take a look at this one. Are you ready for the best weekend ever? Yes, I am! <laughs> 
Oh, my old friend. Hi, Adolf. What's wrong, little man? They call me a scared rabbit. Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. So, do you think this is a satire? I don't know. The trailer was really subtle. I couldn't tell if this was, you know, <laughs> what was going on here. I think we're living in a day and age that is so quick to respond to every little thing that yep. even though it's really obnoxious how they keep saying this is an anti-hate satire, I don't think they have any other choice if they want to sell this movie. Yeah. Right, because it's it, Fox it, Searchlight, right? Yep. So, I'm Fox guessing... Search. So, this is Disney a Disney film little, now. It'll be distributed yeah, by Walt Disney Studios. <laughs> So, so that that yeah, I don't. I mean, it's not an a, a, an unclever marketing gimmick, and also makes it very clear what they're going for. But that does kind of read a little bit like Mickey's a little nervous about this movie. So, I agree with that take. Uh, what I really liked about this though was I really, I mean, this is a teaser, right? So we'll get a full length trailer at some point. Even if they just left it at this, I'd be fine with that. Like this sort of gives you the idea of what it's going to be, even in those fifty eight seconds. I don't know. I, I need more. I, I actually didn't like this trailer. Um, and I, I, I have yet to like a Taika Waititi film. I know I'm wow. very much in the minority on that. Um, I, I kind of really can't stand Thor Ragnarok. I didn't like um, what's the, the freaking what we do in the words? shadows. No, I, I haven't seen that one, to be fair. Hunt for the um, Wilder People. Yes, thank you. Funny. I found that I, I didn't laugh once. Um <laughs> No, I feel like I as a this. horror movie person, you would like what we do in the shadows. I, I think I would, too. I, I agree. And I have a very specific brand of humor, so I'll give it to that. Um, but this just kind of, I don't know. I, I, I Again, I feel like I'm saying this a lot today, but I'm reserving judgment. I, this kind of read to me as like a, um, wow, can you believe what they're doing this time in the same humor vein as something like a Borat, which really does not appeal to me at all. Um, I know this is obviously narrative-based so that's not an apt comparison, but that's kind of the vibe I got from the trailer. I don't know. This one really has to justify itself to me. At best, I think this could be Taika Waititi carrying the mantle, sort of by Charlie Chaplin and Mel Brooks. You know, I think he's going for something really unique. I'm always down for a, you know, good Hitler comedic impersonation because I think the more you, you know, add comedy to that, the more it delegitimizes him and the horrors of the Holocaust. That's why Mel Brooks said he did the producers. There's a fine line there, though, you know, you, that one has to be very careful of. I don't know if this is a controversial statement or not, but I think, you know, I can say this as a Jewish person. Uh, I think when you have a Jewish comedian at the helm, like Mel Brooks or Taika Waititi, I yeah. think it, you know, gives you some, you know, more freedom to go about than not. Oh, definitely. If I did this, it would be horrible. <laughs> so, yeah. I will say I will say this. The uh, downfall clip that they released, uh, that Jojo Rabbit, the marketing people actually released that complimented this. Uh, <laughs> a Polynesian Jew! <laughs> like, that was so great. Yes, that was brilliant. <laughs> At the yeah, very I, end, he's like, oh, this is terrible. A Polynesian Jew, get me the director of Thor Ragnarok. Now that's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> It was well done. It's clever. And I'm actually really excited to see uh, what other clever clever marketing materials they put out for this, actually. Because, um, yes, while I, I can see it as, you know, Disney trying to be protective of its brand, obviously. At the same time, there was a lot in this trailer, like from a just a frame by frame, you know, in terms of some of these shots and um, just the style of it all that had me intrigued. I still don't really know what the story is. 
And exactly. I'm very, very hesitant to say, oh, this is going to be like Taika Waititi's like big Oscar movie. I, I, I still have it in my screenplay predictions because of the wild outlandish concept. And if he pulls it off, I see no reason why it wouldn't get in there. But I am very hesitant to put it in other categories for the time being. Michael, I like your comparison. I like your comparison, Michael, to um, the Great Dictator, which, to my mind, is the greatest satire ever made. Um, But that was done in a really specific style during the war, so this will have to just really be obviously extremely careful. And I'm I'm curious and a little nervous just in general, but I think that's kind of the idea. I think satire is supposed to make you a little bit uneasy, so we'll see. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love this teaser. I think that also from just an artistic perspective and what I like to see in films, like there were so many interesting shots. And I like the fact that I didn't get a lot of story from it because it made me go, what is this? You know, it left me wanting more. And I think that's kind of what you want when we see so many trailers that are just like giving me literally everything. Like I like I like the level of mystery. I do agree. Yeah, I think from an Oscar perspective of like I might need a little bit more, but as just a film that I want to see, like I'm in. Intriguing cast too. Yeah, definitely. Alfie so Allen, Stephen Merchant, Rebel Wilson, Sam Rockwell, Thomas and McKenzie. You know, continuing her career after uh, Leave No Trace. Scar Joe. Scarlett Johansson uh, playing a tree, apparently. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> She's playing Hitler. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Roman uh, Griffin Davis uh, as Jojo Rabbit Betzler. Uh, newcomer on the scene. Could be uh, in for a few breakout awards, maybe. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. The fact that they're releasing this in October from Fox Searchlight yeah. makes me think that they view it as a pretty big contender. If this were dropping like late August or late December, you know, I think differently, but right in the middle of the season, that's a good place to have it. So then getting back over now to uh, the Toronto Film Festival lineup, uh, those three trailers we just talked about all going to be at Toronto making their uh, debut. Uh, Some other movies, Ford v. Ferrari going to TIFF. However, based upon its uh, listing, looks like it's also going to Telluride. And that, too, is another two-and-a-half-hour movie uh, from James Mangold, which I've been hearing some early buzz on is uh, it's it's the real deal. My dad's excited for it. He goes to the movies once or <laughs> twice a year. This will be the one. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely a dad-looking movie, which is why I'm kind of... I did mention that when the trailer debuted that I felt like this is the movie that will be the awards film that film Twitter hates because of that. Like, I, I could totally see that happening still. Um, but... You know, it's good to see that there's some confidence behind it. We'll have to wait and see uh, where else it goes. Uh, we also have Bad Education from uh, Corey Finley, who gave us Durobreds uh, a few years ago. Uh, this one stars uh, Hugh Jackman. And that could be, well, I mean, I'm not saying this would be like an Oscar contender, but I mean, that was one that I was like, oh, what is this? Hugh Jackman, what? what? You know? <laughs> Produced by Fred Berger of La La Land. Mm-hmm. From the yeah, director of Thoroughbreds, like you said, Alice and Jenny, Ray Romano. It's about a school embezzlement scandal. Okay. Uh, Edward Norton directing himself in Motherless Brooklyn, which also looks like it could be going to Telluride as well. Well, yeah, that's it. Uh, that one is an international premiere. An international premiere means the first time it's premiering outside of its home country. So the ones that fall into that for Toronto are Clemency, which we already saw at Sundance. Yep. Uh, Honey Boy, also at Sundance. Yep. The report also at Sundance. So yeah. The two that jumped out to me here were Motherless Brooklyn and Uncut Gems. Also, um, the two po- the two popes 
uh, Fernando Morales's? Uh, no, that's Canadian premiere. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. But it's still, but that's still another one I could be going to tell you right as well. Well, international premiere means it's the first time outside of its home country. So that tells us that Motherless Brooklyn and Uncut Gems will be going to Telluride for sure. Yeah. The Two Popes is the one that was previously just called The Pope, correct? The Jonathan Price? Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Now I guess I had to, you know, sell them on another Pope. So that's listed as Canadian (laughs) You wanted one Pope? We got (laughs) two. Canadian premiere is weird because that means it could be at Telluride, Venice, Sundance, or Cannes. Yeah. So sorting through it, it's uh, pretty clear that it wasn't in the Venice lineup. So it has to go to Telluride. And that's going to be from Netflix, starring Anthony Hopkins and, uh, my God, from The Wife. Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price, yes. I still think they missed a huge opportunity to debut that at Venice, but that's just me. <laughs> I don't think they want anything to do with that movie near Vatican City. Uh, I, I, Wasn't going to come? <laughs> that was the idea, right? <laughs> what a stunt that would have been. We invited exactly. Him. How do you pass that up? Jude Law would have come to represent the Pope. <laughs> Some movies that are not listed uh, that we don't know yet still what their film festival schedule looks like. Uh, we don't have any word yet on The Irishman. However, I am becoming more confident that that is going to be NYFF's big premiere. I'm right there with you. So I'm actually hoping to have more information on that soon. Uh, no Aeronauts. I don't know what the hell is going on with yeah. that. Yeah, what's that Amazon there? Crash somewhere. It seemed like for one week there was like all this talk about like, oh, this is going to be a big deal. This is going to be a big deal. Well, where the hell is it? I have a theory about what happened there. I think the execs at Amazon are incredibly nervous right now after what happened with Late Night, and they don't know how to do their release schedules anymore. So they look to what happened with Netflix last year and how big of a success Bird Box was over the holiday. You know, big. You know high production value, big stars, and they decided to forego any Oscar plan and just do this as a holiday streaming release. Mm. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad movie. I think this could still contend maybe for a few tech awards, but I think their bigger concern now is getting people to subscribe to Amazon Prime and view their service over the holidays. I mean, they are trying out an interesting release schedule with the report as well. Uh, yeah, so we just moved to uh, late November now. Uh, other films not listed... No 1917, which I was pretty confident would go to Venice. I think they're going to be working on that one to the very I was, end. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I imagine it's just not ready yet, which is yeah. fine. Take your time. That's probably after Thanksgiving that they'll uh, show that to industry. Uh, Nomadland, which I am I am confident will go to Telluride, but still not listed for Venice or TIFF. There are a few movies that we see every year in the second wave of Toronto announcements. Mm-hmm. Like that would be Truth uh, with Kate Blanchett a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, pretty, you know, sizable films that just don't make it in the first round of announcements. Nomadland seems like one of them. Another one that I could see coming in the second wave potentially uh, is Queen and Slim. Oh, for sure. I could see that happening. Universal seems to be very high on that one. Yeah. I'm so excited for that one. I, I hope it really does well this season. Yeah, me too. Uh, Fair and Balanced. No word on that one yet still. We don't even know if that's the official title, I don't think, yet still also, but They're we're calling, calling it that. The, uh, Charles Randolph Project. Yeah, yeah. That strikes me as an AFI film, if it even screens at a festival. If not, it could go like the 1917 route. See, now, I think Little Women is going to be an AFI film. That feels right, yeah. Yeah, either way, I don't think we'll see it until November, mid to late November, AFI mm-hmm. or industry. Yeah. Uh, any others I'm leaving off? Yeah, there are a few. Uh, Lucy in the Sky. I know. Oh, yeah. 
very odd that they released that trailer back in the spring. So early. Because yeah. they did that with yeah. three billboards and they did that with Can You Ever Forgive Me as well. So that would suggest already. that they are confident about it. I know they went back for reshoots. My theory is that they're just finishing uh, the final touches there and it may be ready for like the second round of Toronto announcements. If not, then I think we got a problem on our hands with that one. But I'm still you know, holding out hope for the time being. Uh, the last thing he won mm-hmm. from Netflix, the D. Reese film, uh, sorry, Dan Hathaway and Willem Dafoe, I just sort of took that out of all my predictions, including yeah. Willem Dafoe, for now, just because I don't know what the status is. You know, if they put it in that second wave of Toronto announcements, I'll feel more confident. I just want to wait and see how they're going to handle it first, because I know Netflix has their hands full right now. Yeah, I'm going to leave uh, it for now, but I, I understand that. I'm just, it, yeah. it just, the Willem Dafoe thing seems almost unbeatable unless they really mess this up. Yeah, we'll we'll see with that. Uh, Dry Run from Todd Haynes. Not officially announced for 2019 yet, but we know it's going to be 2019. Yep. 99% positive that's going to and tell you right. if they decide to wait later, maybe AFI. Yeah, I could see that. But uh, Anne Hathaway, Mark Ruffalo, Todd Haynes, that seems like a pretty good combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's The Good Liar, which I don't know if that's going to be an Oscar movie or just, uh, you know. Very surprised at, by that, too. Very surprised. Yeah, that seemed like it would have been good for Toronto, but my gut says... That was a good trailer. It was a good trailer. But you know what they're probably going to do? Just like we said, they're going to have that Hustlers premiere at Toronto. Maybe they're just waiting to do a big premiere for this at AFI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully it's just not Mr. Holmes part two. <sighs> in terms of award success. And uh, Oh, and Cats. <laughs> I I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, Michael. Like I... I that's done. That's done. <laughs> it's a fun. It's a funny joke, and it, you know, but it's done. That was the trailer. The movie was the trailer. Okay, I yeah. got it because I wasn't here last week to defend it. I am not defending it per se, but in an age where every movie is so safe and secure from studios, I mean, it's look at like the Lion King live action. Um, live action. Jesus, I really said that. Lion King <laughs> photorealistic. <laughs> um, the cast trailer is not safe and it is scary and off-putting and weird. And I really have to just, you know, tip my hat to that, even if it wasn't intentional. That's all I have to say about that. So just to kind of recap now, the films that are most likely heading to Telluride based upon the announcements, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, Judy, uh, Marriage Story, Motherless Brooklyn, uh, The Two Popes, Uncut Gems. And then, of course, some can uh, some can titles like I like I imagine Parasite will probably pay, play there. Parasite, Pain and Glory, A Hidden Life, I would think. And one thing that I've noticed with NYFF over the years is that is they like to go for um, the same filmmakers. So like the new Asias, mm-hmm. for example, Definitely. probably likely going to go there. <laughs> you know, I, I would like for NYFF to get something really, really exciting like uh, Irishman, for example, uh, because especially and I don't know if this is confirmed yet necessarily, but I saw a lot of talk about how this is now coming out around Thanksgiving. Well, the word is it's finally done, like done, done. I saw some tweets from yeah. visual effects artists. So I think they're just going to set the date now, finally. Yeah. So it looks like it won't be worked on all the way up until the very end and have a last minute December release like uh, Scorsese's last two films, Silence and Wolf of Wall Street, which could help it. I mean, Departed was a, what, October release, if I remember correctly? Yeah. First week of October. And that that didn't have any film festivals, and that just built up over time. So No one thought it was going to be a contender. They just released it as a mainstream movie, and it did well. Exactly. 
So we're going to wait and see. Uh, obviously, with bated breath. But hey, it's really, really exciting to see that the season is starting to take shape. We're starting to see a lot of things uh, come together. And there are some films from even, you know, maybe it's Sundance, for example, that could still be in play. Like, uh, for example, from my own point of view here, I think Alfre Woodard and Aldous Hodge are going to be big for Clemency. Which has a late December release. Mm-hmm. I think Loose still stands a very good shot for Octavia Spencer and possibly the screenplay. Uh, I think Shia LaBeouf for Honey Boy and Best Supporting Actor. I think it's the best thing he's ever done, and that could be a big deal. And then, of course, there are films that we have seen. Toy Story 4 competing for animated feature. The Farewell, Lulu Wang getting possibly a screenplay nomination. Avengers Endgame, Best Picture. I'm, I'm kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. I'll stop there. <laughs> Bottom line is that uh, now this many months in, and as we head into uh, August and more of the lineups start to get announced, we'll start to get a really, really good feel for everything. And, of course... There's always that contender. Michael, you you said before, there's always something under the radar that we're not expecting that just comes out of nowhere. This time last year, none of us had Green Book on our radar. We knew it as, oh, that Peter Fairley movie that, oh, wow, he got Oscar nominees and winners in it. Yep. Yeah, have we even seen the trailer by this point? The trailer didn't drop until mid-August. We knew it existed, okay. but we didn't know it was going to be a thing. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? Oh, That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That's just how <laughs> it works. So now, uh, what I'm going to do is this. We're going to talk about the polls. We're going to answer questions. And we're going to bounce. So... For Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, last week's poll, we asked everyone, which is your favorite Quentin Tarantino film? Michael, what is your favorite film? Still Pulp Fiction. Cody? Yeah, it's still Pulp Fiction. Bastards is so close, but I mean, hes I, I don't think he's ever going to top that. Casey? Yeah, it's also still Pulp Fiction. But I will say, with Twitter, everybody putting out their like Tarantino rankings, I feel like it's interesting that there's not a full consensus, besides Pulp Fiction, of like, best and worst and i think it's so interesting how many people's lists vary mm -hmm. um mine is definitely pulp fiction bastards is really really close let's take a look at the polls here and let's see what everybody said all right so 300 votes altogether in fifth now you know what? i'll just go from the very bottom let's just let's just go from the very bottom why not everybody else is doing <laughs> it yeah exactly uh the very bottom uh is death proof which I'm not surprised. Uh, all right, so I guess because yeah, the, the ten. All right, so in ninth place is the Hateful Eight. In eighth place 
is Kill Bill Volume 2. In seventh place, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In sixth place, Reservoir Dogs. In fifth place, Kill Bill Volume 1. In fourth place, Django Unchained. Third place. Do I have this wrong? No, I got this right. Third place, Jackie Brown. Nice. I'm glad that placed high. It's really good. Yeah. Second place. With 84 votes. Versus the number one at 91 votes. Second place is Pulp Fiction. Oh. Wow. And first place is Inglorious Bastards. It was close. I mean, obviously those were going to be the top two, duh. But I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, and I'm surprised that they were flipped from what I thought, though. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, I think Bastards has uh, uh, actually gotten better for me over time. Uh, I, I, I still hesitate to say. I think it's actually his best, but it's not my favorite. Does that make sense? Yeah, I might agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now for this week's poll. So with the release of Hobbs and Shaw this weekend, we're asking everyone which is their favorite spinoff movie. So this basically means uh, they weren't necessarily the focus of a particular movie, but they stood out enough and uh, a spinoff movie was made uh, for them essentially up from that. So we have a lot of different options here. I mean, like we have a ton. So we've got Annabelle, uh, Bumblebee, Chronicles of Riddick, Evan Almighty, (laughs) Uh, Hobbs and Shaw is there. Lego Batman is there. Minions. Puss in Boots. Uh, the Scorpion King. Star Trek First Contact. A Shot in the Dark. U.S. Marshals. This is 40. And there's even a write-in option as well if your choice is not listed. Um, can you guys think of a spinoff movie that was successful in your mind uh, from another uh, idea? I mean, I looked there's- at what was listed there and I... Immediately was like, oh, Creed. Creed, duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Creed, Creed's the, uh, the big one. In. I mean, come on. But like, um, I love Creed, but it wasn't my favorite on this list. Oh. Yeah, I mean, Creed's terrific. Don't get me wrong. But uh, big Evan Almighty. Really shocking, depending on what you think of me, or the least shocking thing ever. But uh, my favorite on this list is actually This is 40. Oh, no, not shocking at all. That makes sense. I remember <laughs> you were very, very high on that. I did not see that movie. I was okay about it. I, I, I didn't love it. I was, I was like in that. It's, it's, it's okay. You know, camp. I like my suburban white people problem movies. <laughs> you do? Okay, big little lies. <laughs> I hope Hobbs and Shaw is good because I already bought my ticket. So <laughs> My boyfriend's yeah. very excited for it. So... Yeah, my friends and I go to all the Fast and Furious movies. We we spent one day last year watching all at that point seven of them in a row. So we have a, a nice little bond over it. I'm they're they're not good, obviously, but they're very very fun. Fast and the Furious movies actually became good when they became very self aware, and they and they leaned into the over the top action. I I maintain that Furious Seven is a genuinely good action film. I think the rest are kind of Agreed. varying levels of fu- stupid fun. But that's still fun. Yeah, no, I would say Fury 7. Uh, then I would say Fast, Fast Five, Five. Then the yeah. original Fast and the Furious. Uh, I really like the fate of the Furious, especially for uh, Charlie Theron. I got, a, I got a big kick out of that. It was, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> and then like kind of right underneath that, I, like I, at that point, it's just like, 
whatever. Yeah, they're fully self-aware, and that's okay. I mean, it's I get exactly what I'm looking for when I go to the movies when I see those, which is, yeah. you know, very basic praise, but at the same time, it's still praise. Oh, I've only seen Fast and Furious 6 out of all these movies. That's the only one I've seen randomly. I ended up going with a friend who wanted to check it out. That is random. Yeah, and... I was really taken aback by how many times they say the word family in these movies. Oh, yeah. Buddy, you don't even know. <laughs> and, you know family and Coronas. Uh, my friend was a big, big fan. Uh, he had seen all these multiple times. It was the first time I was ever seeing them. I just happened to be going with him. And Fast and Furious 6 ends with this really shocking, ends on a really shocking note. And he's like totally stunned my friend. I'm like, what? What happened? What? I, I didn't understand like the impact of this big thing. Yeah, I'm excited for Hobbs and Shaw. I'm going to bring a flask. It'll be a good time. (laughs) You can uh, take a drink every time they say family. Exactly. My only problem with Hobbs and Shaw is that that trailer revealed way too much. And I'm worried that it, like, spoiled my uh, surprise element. Maybe. But, I mean, I'm not going for the plot. (laughs) Which maybe makes No, no, no. no, I don't mean the plot. I mean in terms of, like, the action set pieces. Oh, Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I hope there's still some hidden stuff. Me too. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, the director behind it is very, very talented. Uh, obviously worked on Deadpool 2 and uh, John Wick as well. So, I mean, we'll see. Head on over to the polls page of nextbestpicture.com. Let us know what your favorite movie spinoff is. And now we have some fan questions we're going to answer. Somebody's pertaining to the trailer. Somebody's pertaining to the film festivals. Obviously, there is a lot to go around here. So let's take a look, shall we? All right. Cinnaman asks... Last year, both the winners of Venice and Toronto were the Oscar frontrunners. Does lightning strike twice in both festivals this year? Probably. I mean, the track record is, you know, there. It's not something you ignore, definitely. I mean, the Toronto Audience Award, I think, is a very, very big deal. I think that whatever wins that, uh, isn't it like uh, over the last decade, every film has gotten nominated for Best Picture except for one? Yeah, I think it was. was one in 2011. I can't even remember what it was, but it was something... Let me let me do a quick look. But yeah, I yeah, mean, last year when Green film. Book won, it was like, oh, wait a minute, what? So we should have really paid more attention to that, I guess. And I yeah. won't make the mistake again. Yeah, and then what was it? Three billboards the year before, right? Yeah, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's clearly a track record with those festivals and whatnot, so. Yeah, 2011, it was called Where Do We Go Now? Not and to the Oscars. After that, you had... Uh, Silver Linings, 12 Years a yep. Slave, Imitation Game, tons of things. So Before yeah, that, always it was King's Speech, Precious, Slumdog. So yeah, there's it's it's really something to pay attention to. I, I don't like this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Sorry to whoever asked it. Yeah, Jesus. If you had to choose between The Farewell and Booksmart for a screenplay nomination, which one would you choose? Both. I would honestly say The Farewell as a screenplay. I love Booksmart. I think it's great. I think that the best things about that are the performances and the direction, whereas I think the legit screenplay of The Farewell is better. I completely agree, Casey. I prefer Booksmart as a movie. I definitely had a better time watching it. I laughed more. I found the performances really engaging. But Farewell is so perfectly, delicately structured, and the character voices are so strong that it's really a a feat of screenwriting. Uh, Isaiah Washington did not stop there. He asked us three questions, all of which I think uh, have interesting replies here. So let's Damn ask. Idea. Let's ask uh, mm-hmm. his second one. After breaking the worldwide record for box office, do you believe Avengers Endgame can receive more than just a visual effects nomination? Nah. No. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get this question a lot leading up to the Oscars, and I, 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 my answer is not going to change. I think visual effects are nothing. 
again, if if supporting actor stays as dismal as it has been this past year, maybe Robert Downey Jr. at the you know, on the fringes of it. But I think just visual effects. Yeah, I feel like we'll get teased with like PGA and then nothing's going to come Absolutely. from that. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely something like that. And his third question, with the expansion of best makeup and hairstyling from three to five nominees, holla frickin' Luya. Do you have any early predictions for the category? Now, did the nominating process change or was it just an expansion? Because the problem has been the nominating process has been really insular and silly with the shortlist. Mm-hmm. Um, do we know if that's changed or is it just a, a, a bigger lineup? I'm 90% positive that that has stayed the same, uh, but now it is a bigger lineup. Okay. Well, then, I mean, we'll just see the same types of movies excluded and included. It'll just be more of them. <laughs> Michael, have, Michael, have you started putting together that list yet? Oh, yes, I have. Uh, hang on, I gotta get to mine too. Yeah, now that we're up to five, uh, my initial lineup consists of Fair and Balanced, Joker, Jojo Rabbit, Harriet, Little Women. And that's just, you know, initial for now. I'm sure we'll get a better idea of what uses prosthetics later in the year and, you know, what's really subtle work that the branch might respond to. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a contender here? Uh, no, I don't really. think so. Okay. All right. I'm pulling out for It Chapter 2. Yeah, I was about to say, look out for some type of horror film to get on the short list. Two hours and 45 minutes uh, long. I can't wait. I am Make so it excited. <laughs> wait, It is two hours and 45 minutes long? Hell yep. yeah. Hey, so excited but i first can't one, wait. i just rewatched the first one it is so fun so scary um and yeah horror makeup has always weirdly been overlooked in, by the oscars even though they're like constantly pushing the envelope and delivering iconic work so maybe the expansion here will lead to more inclusion of that so yeah it chapter two because the first one definitely should have probably won that year i like your prediction of joker michael especially if it is going to be a quote-unquote awards film uh, we did see The Dark Knight get nominated for its Joker makeup. That is, you know, it's probable. Suicide Squad won this award. Oh, my God. Don't <laughs> remind me. <laughs> but then Black Panther doesn't get in. So, like, who knows? Yeah. But now we're up to five nominees. So yeah, yeah. Maybe Black. I, I, I believe Black Panther would have gotten in on, uh, with five nominees for sure. Damn. Yeah. Watch, they would have nominated Bohemian Rhapsody twice. Oh, God. <laughs> what is up with you guys bringing up stuff from the past? <laughs> it was an evil. We cannot forget. Yeah. We have to keep ourselves level-headed here. <laughs> All right. Uh, I kind of alluded to this before, but I want to hear what everyone else says. Uh, this one comes from EW.2480. Hello, my favorite podcasters. Do we think it would be category fraud if Brad Pitt campaigned supporting for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I suppose you could make a case for it. He is leading at Astra now. What do you say? I, I think he's supporting. I don't think there's any problem putting him there. Oh, I yeah, think I he's a co-lead, it. 100%. I'm sorry. I can't get on board with that. There are chunks in the movie that he's not in. There are chunks in the movie that are dedicated solely to him without DiCaprio. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like overall, when you leave the movie, it feels like DiCaprio's story. That's how I left. Yeah, I feel like he's a co-lead, but I think at the end of the day, DiCaprio's clearly the, like, bigger role. It it doesn't bother me that much, let's put it that way. Like, I I have him in my supporting lineup. I don't... I have a follow-up question. Who do you think is more likely of the two to get a nomination if you split one into lead and one into supporting? I mean, I'll say this. Based on performance, I would say Leo. Based on word of mouth and how they're both being portrayed in the media right now, I would go with Brad Pitt. Here's the thing, though. There's a fun statistic where when Leo is nominated, he pulls along a supporting actor with him. It happened with Alan Alda in The Aviator, Jamin Hounstone, Blood Diamond, Jonah Hill, Wolf of Wall Street, Tom Hardy, Revenant. So, like, weirdly... 
the Academy likes to, you know, bring along his co-star for some reason. I, it might be a coincidence, but I mean, that's pretty good odds for Brad Pitt if that happens. Huh. So you know they're both going to get at precursors of like bullshit like the Globes just to get them both there. Then I think they'll kind of ride those coattails. So definitely yeah, SAG. I, I feel like SAG going at the Globes. So uh, Cinephile Lightbox, which TIFF world premiere has the potential to earn a Best Picture nomination or even a Best Picture win? Over the last decade, a world premiere from TIFF always gets included in the Best Picture lineup. I'm going to go with Just Mercy. Really? I say Jojo and- Rabbit. And Harriet, maybe. I know we just went over this. Is Ford v. Ferrari, Ferrari world premiering there? No, it's a world premiere no, to tell you right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the world premieres that you really can't go wrong. Because there's some where, like we said, it's either going to be generic Oscar bait or something interesting, or it's you know going to be too weird or just right. Like, you don't really... I think you kind of can just throw a dart at anything and be like, yeah, mm-hmm. I have a bunch of them in my lineup. How about that? I don't yeah. know if that's telling. <laughs> uh... Danny Boyle, not the real Danny Boyle, uh, asks, when do you think we will get a trailer for The Lighthouse? Ooh. Hopefully soon. I'm really intrigued by that. Me too. too. Maybe they'll throw it in front of It Chapter 2. I don't know. Yeah, doesn't... (laughs) I feel like Anne Thompson even has Willem Dafoe in her lineup in The Lighthouse rather than last thing he wanted. Yeah, I I don't know. I keep seeing word where people are saying, no, that's his awards contender this year out of his many movies, which is, I mean, it looks pretty niche and genre, but I mean... Uh, oh shit, what was the movie he was in last year? What was that called? Eternity's Gate. Gate. That also is pretty, um, you know, ultra-driven and visually interesting and kind of weird. So maybe, you know, what's the difference here? Yeah, plus it's playing a TIFF now, so mm-hmm. who knows? Carson Timar at BP underscore movie reviews. Similar to Mowgli last year, are there any upcoming theatrical releases that you think could get moved to a release on a streaming service? Ooh. That's really interesting. Ooh. I like this. Yeah, let's let's think about that one. Yeah, hmm. think. I'm trying to think what's on the, on the, the Netflix slate. Yeah, hmm. no ones that aren't committed to like big studios. I know Mowgli was supposed to be Warner Brothers. Yeah, but you know they're not going to drop something like Zombieland two to st- streaming. Well, that's also know? next year, isn't it? No, it's this uh, October. Oh man, that trailer really underwhelmed me. I was not satisfied with that. I love that the whole cast is now Oscar nominees or winners. Yeah, I like that part of it. I thought that was fun. But yeah, they, 10 years for the sequel is just it's or whatever it's been. It's been it's too long. It's been 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Way too long. OK, I'm going to make a weird call here. I don't think this is going to happen. But of films that, you know, if you have to pick any movie this year that could go to streaming, mm-hmm. there is a movie set to come out over Thanksgiving called The Rhythm Section. OK. Uh, directed by Reed Morano, starring Blake Lively, Jude Law. And we oh, haven't heard yeah. anything about it. Hmm. That's a good point. I forgot about that movie. You know what I think? I think the new mutants will just show up on Disney Plus. I think so too. Oh, that's a good call. Yep. Yeah. Hundred percent. We saw. I saw the trailer. If I mean, I think I was in kindergarten when that trailer came out. So like, <laughs> who knows? I think at this point it'll just appear on that streaming service when we all get it in a few months. I think that's actually the best reply. I because th- that fits the bill of exactly like what kind of happened. I think with like Mowgli to a certain extent. Exactly. So, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, I was thinking of real movies, so that's why that one didn't. <laughs> Jesus. Words. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. And then uh, Michelle Faust asks us, and this is a uh, end of the decade question. What is the greatest year for the four acting Oscar winners this decade? Ooh. Okay, I did my homework on this one, actually. My answer is 2010. 
with uh, Colin Firth, Natalie Portman, and the two fighter wins. It's the closest I personally have to my personal winners uh, winning. I give um, everybody except for M- Melissa Leo my personal award that year. So that's my vote. Yeah, that's probably a good one. Oh, this is tough. Definitely not 2017. <laughs> this is really, really hard. 2010 is really strong. I 2012 is really strong, know. too. Yeah, I'm going to say, any. you can't go wrong with 2010, 2011, or 2012. What about 2016? Uh, yeah, that was another good one, too. Affleck, um, yeah. Stone, Ali, and Davis? Yeah, yeah. They're all unquestionably great performances, no matter what you think of the movies or the people. Yeah. yeah. I am going to stick with Hmm. Ooh, 2013 is really good too. Except for I personally, I cannot stand Jared Leto, but in the movie, but uh, Lupita, Kate Blanchett, and Matthew McConaughey is a pretty, again, undeniably great performances. Yeah, yeah, looking back on that now, it's like I understand why Jared Leto won, but he would not have gotten my vote that year at all. He's no. yeah, he's easily my number five in the category. Every other performance, I would have been so okay winning. Yeah. And it's not even so much like, you know, it's not even so much to like the optics of it. It's just more of like it was a stunt performance, it seemed like. Right. That's the thing. It's not just that it's icky casting in 2019 view. It's just like, really? He's not. I really don't think he does much in that. I agree. I totally agree. Personally, I vote for Bradley Cooper that year. But again, any of the other four would be great. I was a Fassbender fan that year. Uh, Man. You know, there isn't one year where I'm across the board, like all four. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That, no, that, there's always one that sticks yeah. out. Like, and you know what? Same. Now that I'm thinking about it, Cody, I think I'm with you on 2010, though. Uh, yeah. Because even though... Whatever you think of the King's hmm. Beach as a movie or a Best Picture winner, Colin Firth is really great in it. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to figure out if I would have voted for him. I don't think I would have voted for him in that. Uh, maybe I would have. I don't. I, I, I think 2010. Yeah. Really close, but yeah, I would have voted for Colin Firth. I think 2010 is the year for me. 2010 is pretty good. See, 2012, I would have said in a heartbeat if Sally Field had won. But I really do love Anne Hathaway as well. So my problem with 2012 is uh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz. Exactly. Yep. yep. If Philip Seymour Hoffman won, <laughs> I'd, I'd put it all up there for sure. Uh, yeah. I was all in for De Niro that year. I was just happy that De Niro was back. Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been a great winner, too. Yeah. Especially looking yeah. back. Yeah. And 2011, I would have preferred George Clooney over Jean Dujardin. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they're all great. Yeah, I'm not really enthusiastic about 2011. Uh, 2014, what was 2014 again? That was Red Main. 2014 had my favorite supportings of J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good supporting lineup. It ended um, up really depressing. But Red Main. That's when Keaton lost Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, that's the thing. If Keaton had won, I mean, I I cannot stand Birdman as a film, but he really should have won that one. I know this is a very, very unpopular take. I am still a big fan of 2017. I'm really sorry. I don't even I don't hate that line, that winner lineup. Like, I'm kind of just like, I get it. Like, I know people were bored. I, I and I understand that those performances weren't everyone's cup of tea. They were my cup of tea, though. So, like, 2017 for me really does stand out. I would say for me it's 2010 or 2017 personally. 2017, I always maintain it's actors I am so glad have an Academy Award statue at their house. I just wish it was not for these movies or these performances. Every single one is, like, my number three or below in the category. Mm. Gary Oldman didn't even make my actor lineup. Wow. Mine either. He's number five for me in that category. My God. He was my number one. <laughs> I think he was my number four or five. No, four. I'm a sucker for transformative performances, though. That's why. So I am when they're good. Ooh. <laughs> Alrighty. Let's bounce. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Cody Derricks. 
You can find me all over the place at Cody Monster 91 and check out my horror movie podcast, Halloweeners. Find us at Halloweeners Pod. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for submitting your questions. Thank you so much for being the best interactive fan community out there. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review once again on Apple Podcasts, as I said at the top of the show. If you weren't listening, I think you were. You're probably not listening to this part, though. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Rate us five stars. It really, really helps us to get discovered by more people than if you like the show and you want to help support us, that is the best way to do it. However, other ways to help support us, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us, including some episodes for Next Best Theater, some Next Best Series episodes where we go into television. We're also dropping our review of The Hateful Eight this week upon a rewatch, which I'm going to be doing later today. Very, very excited about that. You get all of that content and more for $1 minimum a month. Thank you so much for listening. As always, phase one is upon us, and we shall see you all next time.